You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn more about their personal finances and get the most from their money. This series is hosted by Kate Campbell from How To Money and Owen Raskovich from Rask Finance. The Australian Finance Podcast is provided for educational purposes only. The information is general in nature and does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives. What that means is the information does not apply to you specifically. So consider getting the advice of a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information. Owen, welcome back to the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks, Kate. It's good to be here. What are we talking about in today's episode? Well, our plan today is to tackle the massive topic of investing and sort of really overview what is investing, what's not investing, um, some of the key investment options and uh, a little bit about using investment to build up a diversified portfolio. Cool. And this continues on from the last episode we did, which was saving versus investing. Yep. This is another kind of broad overview, right? Mm. But we're going to touch on some things and then in the next episode, we'll drill into each one of those. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So we do we know what investing is? Why don't you, what's, what's investing? Yeah, so there's just, I guess it's a massive topic because you're essentially putting your money at risk Mm. to hopefully gain a greater amount over a long period of time. Um, Mm. I guess sometimes people are investing for a short period of time, but the way I invest is generally for the long time. Yep, you and me both. Uh, I think we talked about this last episode, but we said that maybe when your, your time frame is, say, less than six months or less than a year, mm. it's more in that realm of speculation. Yeah. But we'll get to, to why that is the case in just a moment when we talk about risk profiles. When people approach investing, what is one thing that you think they should do to, I suppose, reset their tendencies to think short term? What's a tool that they can use to to reset that? Yeah, I, I guess the first thing to think about is what is your goal for investing and, and why are you doing it? If it's just to make 
a quick buck, then it's probably not the right way to approach it. Mm. Um, you've really got to work. Is it a, a 10 year time frame to buy your house? Um, are you investing for retirement? Uh, are you investing so you can, uh, start a business down the track? Um, once you work out the reasons behind why you're investing and then what time frame, um, because that's really important in investing because mm. different asset classes that we'll talk on later on have different, um, recommended timeframes. Mm. So you can write out the volatility of the market. Um, so once you know your goals behind why you're investing and then start to think about what time frame, um, that's a really good place to get started. So you don't just end up selling as soon as something mm. starts to look a bit scary and end up losing money. Yeah, that's a good one. I think uh, I've got, you know, I've read, I don't know how many finance books, but I've got this kind of beef with financial goals because they get like this label and then <laughs> they always sound like they're really far away and they're really boring. But I think a really interesting way to I think about it is in terms of systems. So I find that the people that have the most effective systems, and what I mean by that is instead of thinking about a thing that's like five years away, it's just to break it down to the smallest possible time frame mm. and then think about how you can implement that day-to-day. So I'll give you an example. So someone might say, you know, I want a million dollars in 10 years, right? It's pretty ambitious. But then you can work out and you can go backwards from that and you can say, well, if I get this return and I do this amount, I have this amount of savings, here's how, how I can get there. Mm. And it becomes, once you break it down to a smaller and smaller amount, you have begin to realize that it's really just like one-tenth of something or like I'm going to save 20% mm. and my financial goal will take care of itself. Mm. And that's just a way I think about it. It's like when you go to the gym, if you think about going to the gym for three months, how many people say, I'm going to go to the gym for three months and then they fail <laughs> versus the person that just actually gets up and just yeah, goes. and just gets started. That's right. And it's, and it's about having habits and systems mm. in place so that you just do it. And I think when you think about goals, when I think about goals, I always end up breaking them like New Year's resolutions. <laughs> it's better just to just put your head down and just do it. Yeah. And it's just having about a system, having a system and one way to think about it. But anyway, that's like a, I could talk about the psychology behind saving for a very long time. <laughs> um, one thing that you've written in the show notes here, which is really important, it's, um, it, you say it's about, it's your money. So you've got to mm. look after it. Uh, and this is especially true when it comes to investing, right? Because people tend to think that, you know, I'll just have a punt here or a punt there. But you, d- you end up doing 10 or 20 punts over a few yeah. years and you end up, you know, probably losing a lot of money. Mm. So it's really important, particularly when you're new, just take it slow and learn as you go, right? Yeah. And I think that the phrase, it's your money and if you don't care about it, who else will, mm. has been sort of instilled in me by my parents, okay. um, <laughs> which is something they take to heart. And I've sort of learned from them that if, even if you give your money to someone else to take control of, whether that be a fund manager, an mm. advisor, a bank, you need to know where it is, what it's doing. And um, even if you don't care about the nitty gritty bits, you want to know what fees you're paying and, and what they're doing with your money. Yeah, that's right. I think it's like we do, we have this at the RAS group. We have uh, our tagline is empowering. Yeah. And it's, it's a silly little phrase that gets tossed around too much in the financial world, but it's true. And I think the only way to really empower yourself financially is to have control. Mm. And not only that, by doing things yourself, you don't have to be, like I said in the last episode, you don't have to be, have a PhD in economics, but by doing it yourself, you ha- you empower yourself and it's also a lot cheaper. Yeah. And, and and even if you make mistakes doing it yourself, it's really important that you make the mistakes and you learn from it. If you mm. if you hand out 
off all decision making to someone else and you're not involved in the process, then they get to make the mistakes and they get to learn the lessons. But you miss out on all of that learning. That's right. That's right. Uh, okay. So we've got something here, Kate. We've got a question that's come in. And it says, uh, my friend told me about this great investment where I'm guaranteed to double my money in just one year. How awesome is that? And that's the question. Uh, what do you make of that? What's your answer? So that is the question I get a lot from friends just because <laughs> I'm the, the money nerd of the friendship group. And I, I just call that the classic Aussie barbecue tip because you yep. get that so often um, it's been lithium, it's been marijuana stocks, it's been crypto. Um, gold is <laughs> gold and silver are the flavor of the month at the moment I'm getting from friends. But, uh, I think a lot of these, I would classify them as speculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people asking about them don't actually know. I, I can't say I know anything about those areas either, but I, I wouldn't classify them as <laughs> investing unless you're really sort of specialized in that area. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, as soon as someone says you you work in finance, oh, what do you think about silver? <laughs> Jesus, come on. No, no I, I don't know where that's coming from, but yeah, that seems to be the flavor. Yeah, it's uh, Instagram versus reality or mm. the expectations versus reality old thing. It's uh, If it sounds too good to be true, it generally is. Yeah. In fact, it almost certainly is. And <laughs> when people ask you a question about this or when they ask me a question, it's always like if they are asking me the question, it means they don't know the answer. And if it's a, something as simple as what do you think of, well, it tells me that they haven't really thought much about it themselves and well they've already bought it and want someone to validate that's right they're just seeking out confirmation bias and they're not you know it's it's one of those things if you can't explain the risks yeah you know just as quickly as you can explain the reward or the opportunity and you couldn't do it you couldn't relay that message to say a five-year-old or a 10-year-old in language that they can understand you're in over your head yeah because that's as difficult as investing should be just what's the opportunity what are the risks Mm. And if it's too complicated, don't get involved. I guess the sad thing is people. so many people do take this barbecue tip from their friend mm. uh, or neighbour or colleague and then they get burnt on their first experience and then decide that investing is just a complete scam and they're just going to not even worry about it and they only come back to it 20 years later and they miss out on so much time um, mm. in the market and a chance to really build wealth. Yeah, that, that's true. And it's, it's one of those things where... Uh, it's so unfortunate, but it is a reality because people are letting their emotions drive yeah. them. So if you can think logically rather than, and this comes back to goal setting, right? What do you want from your investing? If you're just trying to make a quick buck, you, you're probably going to set yourself up to fail. Mm. Uh, there's this great book, and it's a really nerdy book, and it's called Value Investing. And it's it's a book that profiles all the best investors. Yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of the best investors in the world. And at the end of the book, there's this summary chapter, and it summarizes the process of these investors really well. And what it says is that they the first thing they think about is risk, not the reward. Mm. So the first hurdle you need to get over is, you know, how, how will I lose money and what why am I not going to lose yeah, money? Yeah, what's your maximum downside? That's right. And then from there you look at the reward. And I think that's a classic mistake that beginners make is they first think about the opportunity and not about the risks because mm. it's much harder to make money uh, back after you've lost it than it yeah. is just to not lose it in the first place. So that's a really good one. Uh, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. I thought crypto was going to change the world. <laughs> Maybe the tech behind it, but uh, at the moment, <laughs> crypto, I don't think, has changed anyone's yeah, anyone's so, world too much. But, but this, um, this line, 
past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. I feel like I've seen that on an ad where people clutch their hands together and they make this weird symbol. And so that's super fun. Is that right? Yeah. So oh, you've probably seen that line in every single disclaimer yes, right. ever. And I mean, any TV ad that's talking about any investment product, they probably rattle this line off super quickly at the end. They have to, right? It's like a legal requirement. So um, I'd know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess it is It is true. Um, you'll hear it a lot, but it, it is true. So just because XYZ stock has done 500% in the last year mm. um, does not mean in the next year it's going to do another 500%. Or if it's going to be do any percent, it might go down 500%. That's right. It might just close its doors and see you later. That's it. The, the thing is, when, when you people look at like share price charts or whatever, they usually believe that that reflects some sort of success or you yeah. know, the viability of the product or whatever they're trying to sell. It's not necessarily the case. So this is a this performance and performance reporting is one of the easiest ways for people to misguide hmm. people that don't understand finance. And so that's why everyone's almost guaranteed to just have read this because any reputable organization will have this statement yeah i would run away from any organization that shows you a chart of any type of investing or finance related product or tells you over the phone that we've done 10 percent per annum for the last 10 years and we'll do it for the next 10 yeah that's yeah massive red flag Mm. just on that if you get a call or an email from anyone don't yeah. Act on it. it. That's like a. I think that should be like a podcast. Yeah. Or like don't if don't. And especially because it's going to be a salesperson, and they're not really even probably the expert. They're just trying to sell the that's product right. to you. I got a call from a guy with a South African accent. Not to say that South Africans are all doing this, but I got a call from a guy with a South African accent <laughs> the other day, telling me that I can do a tax variation and use that money to invest in my property. And I was like, I don't even have a property, dude. And anyway. I'm pretty I'm sure he still uh, had something to sell you. Though, after that's that. right. Like I'm pretty across tax law in Australia, and I'm, I know that this is like dodgy ass, but yeah. he sounded really legit. He had a website, he had everything. Mm. So the rule is just don't engage over the phone or via yeah. email. Okay, enough of that ranting. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get into options? the the core options. So we're going to be covering them in more detail in future episodes, but I guess some of the um, core investment options we'll start with. Super, because mm. a lot of our listeners and we both already mm. are invested in super. Yep. Um, and often you don't have a choice. You, That's right. Your work will just set up a super fund for you. And often you'll just sort of end up in, if you don't select something, you're just going to end up in the Whatever. stock standard. Yeah. So we're, we're going to get into super in, in more detail in the next episode, but why don't you just tell us what super is and how it works? Yeah, so at the moment, super, once you're over a certain salary, so we'll talk about that in the next uh, episode, but the government tells your employer they have to put 9.5% of your salary into a superannuation account, which is something you won't be able to touch until retirement age, and that varies as well. So that's something we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, but essentially, your the government wants you to put money aside for your retirement. So that's right. hopefully, you don't have to fully rely on the government for the retirement. That's right. So it's taken out of your wage. It goes into this super fund mm. and you can manage it. You can see it if you log into yeah. your account. Um, we'll get into it in the next episode. But basically, the government knows we're all getting older, uglier and more costly yeah (laughs) so they can't afford to keep paying people pensions yeah so they want us to fund our own retirement and that's what super is designed to do and they pretty much know that not all of us are going to do it on our own and have enough for retirement so that it's it's a forced forced investment forced savings so 
in some capacity, if you've got a super account, you're probably invested in shares already. That's right. You're probably an investor and you don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably invested in things like shares, property, bonds, which is something weird that we'll get to later on, <laughs> and a, a whole heap of other stuff. You're, you're already investing in a pretty diverse portfolio, chances are. Mm. So pat on the back to you. Okay. So next one is property and REITs. So I guess, yeah, property, everyone probably already knows about this. The great Aussie dream, uh, owning the physical piece of land and a property and Mm. maybe it's an apartment. Yep. Yep, don't buy an apartment. We'll get to property again. We'll get into all these. This is just an overview, but property is one way you can invest your money. In Australia for the last 28, nine years, it's done very well since we had our last recession in the early 90s and Westpac almost went bust. All of these things um, I've done pretty well over that time frame, actually. Yeah. And just to explain what an, a REIT is, R-E-I-T, you'll see it capitalized. So it stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. And if you've read Scott Pape's book, he does mention this uh, in there too, which mm. is uh, it's just a way to invest in property with a very small amount of money. Yeah. And it might not be a house, but it might be an office building or something like that. Kate, I think you like these index funds and managed funds. Yeah. yeah. What are they? So- I'll start with managed funds because they're probably a bit different. Yeah. Uh, you get, you're paying a fund manager to – you're going to give them your money, you're paying them a management fee, and mm-hmm. hopefully they're going to manage your money and outperform whatever benchmark they choose. Yeah, it's um, their choice. Yeah, so uh, I have heard of some choosing cash benchmarks for equity portfolios. Yeah. So, which is a very – for those who don't know what that means, it's a very easy way for them to make lots of money. Yeah, so you're, you're going to be paying more fees than other options. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it may be a, an option to consider. Um, some of them have quite high starting balances, and some managed funds are. Um, How much would you need? Well, I've seen some managed funds now um, that have a thousand dollar starting balance if you set up a regular contribution plan. It's like once a month you have to add yeah. extra. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. But I think the stock standard's about twenty five thousand dollars to right. invest in managed yep, funds. Okay. Um, if you don't want that regular contribution mm-hmm. plan, that seems to be what I've seen in the industry. Okay. Um, so hopefully, and you're sort of relying on that fund manager and their team to manage your money and outperform whatever benchmark they set. Yeah. Some a question that I always get is, oh, how do I pay for it? How do people pay for it? If they give a fund manager $25,000, how do they pay for it? Yep. So they'll they'll make it nice and easy for you. They'll just take your fees right out of the investment and you don't even have to Think about it. They don't serve a bill. Um, they don't give you a bill or anything like that. Oh, it's just uh, very nice and nice and simple for the the customer. Yep. They'll they'll just um, when you invest in a managed fund, usually you're issued units, and they'll take the management fee out of the unit price. So you you won't even notice it's gone. Yeah, you won't even notice until it's you, a tiny you add up the fees when you look back ten years and yeah, notice how years, much you've paid. Thirty years on, and you've got half as much as you should have. Yeah, and, yep. and the fund manager's driving a very nice yeah, car. He's got a million dollar bonus <laughs> for that year. Now, Owen, what is the difference between index funds and ETFs? Because I'm pretty familiar with ETFs, but I haven't seen it. Okay, so you've just described what a managed fund is, and effectively, if you got twenty friends together and you each put five hundred bucks in a bank account. And then you said, hey, Owen, do you want to go and manage that money and invest it for us? That's a managed fund because it's a fund of money that I'm managing, (laughs) right? That's as simple as a managed fund is. What an index fund is, it's the same thing as in there's a pool of money, but it's invested differently. Mm. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about these things called index funds. And all it is, is 
I use a strategy if I'm the fund manager that just follows um, what we call an index. So yeah. this might be like the ASX 200 or the all, all Ordinaries or the Dow Jones. You see these names dotted across the news if you have, if for anyone that watches the news anymore. <laughs> but you'd see that on, on the news or on the internet, wherever. And effectively, it's just a very low-cost way to invest in the entire share market. Mm. So an index fund, the entire share market, as opposed to a managed fund, which is where you pay a professional to pick the individual shares that they yeah. like. Now, an ETF, just to get even more confusing, but an <laughs> ETF is either a managed fund or an index fund that you can buy using a share brokerage account. Mm. So it could be either of, you know, it could use an index strategy where you get the whole market or you could be paying a professional, but you just do it through your stock broking account. And the good thing about it, you mentioned 25000 ETFs in Australia can be bought with a minimum of 500 bucks, mm. which is really good because it means that you can get access to some of the best investors or the best index funds. For example, I own an ETF that you, it actually takes the money and invests it in the US. Mm-hmm. So that's a really easy way for me to get exposure to like the biggest companies in America. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, I'd have to open a US brokerage account, pay US taxes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> ETFs, very easy way to do it. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll once again we'll be jumping into all this in more detail shortly. Yeah. Individual shares. What can you just tell me? What are the two reasons people would buy shares, or one reason people would buy shares? Individual shares. Uh, those companies you see around you, whether that be Apple, Netflix, um, most of the things you see in your house are probably part of a listed company in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can actually, as an investor, buy a part of that company through mm. the stock market and it's a pretty pretty cool if you do mm. see a company that has really great room to grow and you can actually outperform the exchange traded funds and the managed funds and property and all that yeah. all that sort of stuff if you pick the right company that's right so but there's a lot of companies that do really badly and there's right. and there's those few gems that mm. go amazingly so i guess it's probably the hardest way to invest um, when you're getting started because You've got to work out which company. There's thousands and thousands of companies. Which one do you pick? Um, Whereas the other ones, either someone's picking it for you or with ETFs, you're just getting a bit of everything. Yeah, that's right. Uh, And yeah, so just to circle back on that individual shares, you could say like Woolworths is Mm. is an example of a supermarket in Australia that has its shares in the stock exchange, Telstra, you said Apple. All of these companies, you can buy a tiny slice of. Yeah. And when we say tiny, like if you buy one share, you're getting a very, very small amount. Uh, yeah. You're not going to be able to change the the management of the company of one no, share. You're not going to be able to boot the CEO out because you own one <laughs> share in this multi-billion dollar company. But you still might get dividends and all mm. the rest of it. And dividend, for those who don't know, is just like um, a check that comes to you every six months or every yeah. year. And let's say you own $100. At first, the check might be like... 50 cents or <laughs> two bucks or something. But over time, as you get more and more money, that all adds up. Yeah. So that's a dividend. And it, nowadays, we don't use checks. It just goes straight into your bank account. So that's what a dividend is. Um, and finally, I'll just add one thing that if you take the share market as a whole, it tends to perform really well. So we know that property in Australia has done well for the last 20 years or so, but shares have actually done just as well. Hmm. So people don't remember that because it's not in your face every day. But yeah. It actually, the share market actually has. So don't disregard it. Um, don't yeah. just go straight into the Australian dream, as I'm sure we'll get to in the next. <laughs> and I guess one of the benefit of some of these shares and exchange traded funds is they're in most cases a lot more liquid. Yeah. So it, it might take you months to put your property on the market and pay all the fees associated with that. But 
shares. If you if you need the money, you could just sell it. That's right. And yeah, and to touch on that, liquid. What you mean by that is you can get your money in and out very quickly, yeah. and you probably you can you don't need it as much. Mm. You, know? you don't need a twenty percent deposit to buy shares. Yeah, you can start with five hundred bucks. Okay, so we're coming towards the end here, and one of the things that we need to talk about is knowing your risk profile, and this is what every financial planner should do if you go and see one. Yeah. And you've mentioned in the show notes something about timeframes, knowing your timeframes. So what is a risk profile, and why is the timeframe important? Yeah, generally I think sort of people put the risk profiles in that spectrum from really conservative investor. So you're not really comfortable with any mm. risk. You um, you don't really want to see your money go down or you won't be comfortable with it. And then sort of the other end of the spectrum, you've got your aggressive, high-risk, um, growth-focused investor that's happy to take a year or two of negative performance and happy to ride out that volatility. And I guess you when you're getting started, you don't really know your risk profile. A lot mm. of people do think they're comfortable with high risk and they're happy they say at the start oh i'm fine if my investment goes down 20 percent and then it's down five percent like oh my god yeah but then it gets down <laughs> five ten twenty percent and yeah. they freak out and they sell it at the bottom which mm-hmm. means they've lost five ten twenty percent and they're probably not going to invest again mm-hmm. um or they or they do repeat the cycle again um so it's really important it's something good to start thinking about are you a more conservative person, are you more high risk person? Mm-hmm. Um, you might be able to tell that through your current personality traits, um, or mm-hmm. it's something you might want to dip your toe in the water with five hundred dollars and see how you react as as it goes green and red and goes up and down. And sort of mm-hmm. well, starting small is a good way to sort of experiment and see how you appreciate yeah. risk and how you react. That's right. The good thing about being a new investor is that. You don't have much to invest. Yeah. So if you get it wrong, you're not going to lose hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars, at least. I mean, if like you are new and you've got that amount of money. is probably the best way to get started. Yeah, that's right. Just yeah. small and get just, comfortable with just it. Just see how it goes, see how it works. And if you lose a bit of money, that's okay. Just keep, just stay the course. Mm. Uh, you're right about that thing that you said that oftentimes people take the, the most risk and then they find out that they're not, yeah. you know, they're not a risky person. They're, yeah. not, they're not built for it. And that comes back to, I think, a few things. And one of the things is um, the, the level of your knowledge. Yeah. So I've read a survey study oh, probably a couple of years ago now. And it was something like 54% of people that invest in the share market don't know how it works. Mm. So that's like 54% don't know where their money is invested. Yeah. Though I would almost guarantee that those 54% would react worse yeah. than someone who does understand what's going on. And it's just about having that little bit of knowledge under your belt and you'll be able to, I suppose, deal with those little hiccups as they come along. Mm. But one thing, and I'm going to go, I'm going to shout out to all the ladies here. Females are better investors on average than men. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but something like 2 to 3% on average better. Mm. And I think Fidelity actually did it in the US, did a recent study on that and mm. and comb through all their clients' accounts and actually prove that women, female investors, had outperformed their male counterparts. Mm. Yeah, that's right. There's been a few and a couple of professors from California yeah. have done them too. And I think it comes back to temperament and behavior because mm. the thing about investing is it's all well and good to take some risk, but it gets to a point where there's too much risk yeah. and you do the wrong thing and you end up you know, maybe with nothing in, in certain instances. But that's quite rare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in the share market. Even if things do fall, 
if you look from left to right over a very long period of time, generally the, the charts go upwards. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a bit, a bit about risk profile, knowing time frame, different types of strategies. What are the building blocks to build a nice diversified portfolio? And what is diversification anyway? What does that mean? Essentially not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, someone I know likes to refer to diversification as sort of the healthy food pyramid, having your um, your stock standard assets at the bottom, whether that be for you shares, ETFs, and then putting that risky stuff if you want to muck around and do something um, really. Crypto. High. Yeah, crypto, whether you're just speculating on a small cap, that's at the really the high end of the triangle because – it's those sort of things you could lose everything mm. um, and really just making sure you have a well-balanced portfolio, whether that be having some shares, having some cash, having international and Australian exposure. So mm. I guess there's a lot of home country bias, yep. especially in Australia because we love our dividends and franking credits, which we'll talk about in a future episode. Sure. But um, it's uh, often you forget that the rest of the world is out there. And I think it's Australia only makes up 2% of the yeah. world's market. So so 98% is outside. Yeah. And there's, I mean, the last 10 years have been amazing from the US. And That's if you'd right. only invest in Australia, you would have missed out on a huge, huge opportunity over there. That's right. The simplest way to, to, to draw an example on that is uh, Netflix, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, um, yeah, if you've been investing any in the, any of those for the last ten years, any of the names years. that are like in your top ten are pretty much not Australian. I mean, yeah. you might get like Telstra or Combank, but I mean, they're not great <laughs> anyway. Uh, like any of those names are not in Australia, so you can't invest in them uh, if you only have an Australian investing account. Yeah, or I mean, you can use ETFs, which is I, I should say is a, is a good way to do it. But uh, yeah, you need to consider what's outside. Yeah, Australia, and that's what you call home country bias. People yeah. just tend to stay safe, safe, quote unquote, in Australia. And the the last thing that people, I suppose, just on this, the last thing that people neglect to mention is something called bonds, and it's re- it's because it's really boring. They're really unusual, but if you look back over a very long period of time, bonds are, are typically a lower risk investment, mm. and by including them in part of your strategy, whatever it is, you tend to come out a lot better than if mm. you just had shares and you just had property. You tend to come out a lot better. So they add a bit of stability. That's right. So you, it's, it's, it's once again, it's about not having you know endless amounts of really risky investments. It's going to a point and knowing where that point is and then having things that aren't as risky. So things yeah. like and we've talked about having emergency savings. That's obviously a no-brainer, but even things like bonds or really low risk investments in yeah. um, what we call cash. Term deposits. Term deposits, that type of thing. So it's all part of a healthy food pyramid Yes, and a, and a healthy portfolio. Yeah, so not only just diversifying against different asset classes, you also want to have country diversification as well. And we'll explain how to do all of that and lots more in the next episode. Is that right? Next one after that? A few down. A few okay. episodes away. Well, I've made a mistake, but it's coming soon. We've got the next four or five episodes are pretty much all about investing. Yeah. That's right. So we're going to be digging into these in a bit more detail. Kate, what were the action points from this? I guess first action point, work out sort of from the outset, what is your risk profile and what is your time frame? And mm. this will change. This yeah, it could well change. You might think you're conservative, but then you're happy to take a bit mm. more risk uh, or, or the opposite might happen. You're not as risky as you thought. Um, so working out your risk profile, working out your time frame, and not investing immediately in a product if you only got six months. 
We'll link to some resources in the show notes that will help you to determine your risk profile and how to think about it. Yeah. And always have a balanced diet. So eat plenty of McDonald's and invest in cryptocurrencies. Yep. That's uh, that's how we do it here. <laughs> <laughs> do the opposite of that and uh, you'll get a diversified portfolio. Yeah. And I think another key takeaway is just expectations versus reality. Um, mm-hmm. it, just because it's done amazingly in the past doesn't mean it's going to do the same way in the future and you might have just picked the top of the market. So invest for a number of years and uh, keep that portfolio nice and diversified we'll talk about that more in future episodes yes so owen where can our listeners find you oh yes of course well they can go to the how to money australia website for yourself yes and that's how to money australia on twitter yes i'm owen rask it's owen and r-a-s-k on twitter and the raskfinance.com website we'll have all the show notes that's right we will indeed and if you have any questions or comments Mm -hmm. after listening to this episode feel free to Send them. Yes, you can send them to uh, raskfinance.com. We have a contact or I need a, I have a question page there. Yeah. So we've had a few great questions come in yes, already. And we've got a question that. episode planned uh, coming up. So we'll be answering all of your questions. So yeah, head to raskfinance.com and put one in. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.